Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Heaven forbid that you or someone you love suffers an injury from an automobile accident in the province of Ontario. Besides the immediate pain and suffering, your long-term physical recovery and rehabilitation may be at risk, due in no small part to the heavy hand of an Ontario regulator that appears more interested in promulgating red tape than in patient care. Since 2019, over 20,000 health service providers, the physiotherapists, chiropractors, and massage therapists who treat people injured in car accidents have fallen under the control of the Financial Services Regulatory Authority, or FISRA, which replaced the now-defunct Financial Services Commission of Ontario. You might be asking, why is the business and practice of these critical health service providers subject to oversight by a financial services regulator? The answer is simple, insurance. FISRA regulates the auto insurance industry and health claims from auto accidents make up a vast majority of billings. In the last fiscal year, there were over 54,000 claimants who accessed treatment from health service providers following a motor vehicle accident, totaling just over $643 million in adjudicated invoices processed through Ontario's health claims for auto insurance system. The HCI system is the clearinghouse for processing claims and invoicing based on listed expenses, i.e. the goods and services provided by regulated health professionals that are approved and listed in the Statutory Accident Benefit Schedule of the Ontario Insurance Act. Joining us today to discuss the challenges facing health service providers in Ontario is Anthony Grande, a registered physiotherapist with a Bachelor of Science in Physical Therapy and owner of Focused Physiotherapy, a chain of clinics located in the Toronto area. Anthony, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Before we dive into the details of what's going on, first, please share with our viewers a bit about who you are and what you do. Well, thanks, Brent. Um, well, I'm a physiotherapist and I've been practicing physiotherapy since 1996. I've uh, practiced in numerous jurisdictions in Canada and the US, and I think helping people is an amazing thing to do. Uh, one of the best parts of the profession is talking and talking to and encouraging people to participate in their care and giving them guidance and treatment that improves their life and just helps them recover from numerous types of injury, whether it's car accidents, sports injury, work accidents, or just wear and tear from getting older. It's, it's really rewarding to do what I do. Anthony, why is physical therapy so important for accident victims? Well, physical therapy is, a, is important for accident victims as it, it helps people recover from their injuries uh, that they've sustained and regain their physical abilities that they've lost as a result. You know, physiotherapy, it involves the use of various techniques such as exercise, stretches, manual therapy, uh, and education to restore the mobility, reduce the pains, and improve the strength and flexibility that, that have that they've lost after the accident. You know, it's it's so important for accident victims to undergo physiotherapy to prevent the long-term complications such as chronic pain, muscle weakness, decreased range of motion. And with less chronic pains, there's less opioid use, there are less mental health issues. You know, people after an accident are, are hurt in so many different areas that they really need an intervention by a healthcare professional to, to help them recover. 
Yeah, well, I know it's been very important for my recovery from more than one accident and injury. Let me ask you, are chiropractors and massage therapists also a part of the rehabilitative therapy? Absolutely. Uh, All healthcare professionals have a role. Chiropractors and massage therapists are important in the rehabilitation after an accident. You know, chiropractors also, they specialize in the diagnosis and treatment of musculoskeletal disorders. You know, they use non-invasive techniques, non-invasive techniques such as spinal manipulation and adjustment. They also, you know, are actively involved in a patient's recovery. Massage therapists use their hands and other tools. They you know, manipulate the soft tissues of the body, including the muscles, the tendons. They help reduce pain, improve circulation. You know, together, all of us, you know, chiros, physios, massage therapists, you know, we provide a comprehensive rehabilitation approach to these people that were injured in a car accident. And often that's what's really required. They're not, they didn't just fall down. They, they, they were involved in some significant accidents. Neck, back, spine, I mean, knees, there's so many different areas that are vital uh, that get so screwed up in uh, these kinds of accidents. Anthony, in the lead to this episode, I mentioned that an accident victim's long-term physical recovery and rehabilitation may be at risk in the province of Ontario. Is that right and why? That's absolutely correct, Brent. Um, We're burning out. You know, it's... uh... It's, 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 it's that simple. We're burning out. You know, there's, there's so many bureaucratic hurdles. There's so much red tape to deliver care. There's redundant licensing. There's invoicing complexities. You know, we want to deliver care. We want to get people better. But the paperwork is, 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 is so onerous that, that, that we're treating and then we're burning out because of the administrative requirements, the redundant regulation. It's just, it's, 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 it's coming to a point where people are just saying, I want to do something else. And people are leaving the practice of physiotherapy. They're leaving the practice uh, altogether. They're going into different jobs. They're, they're shutting down their clinics. They're retiring early. So yeah, they're burning out. Anthony, correct me if I'm wrong, but the largest segment of patients for your type of services comes from auto accidents and and basically from auto insurance. Generally speaking, it's it's sort of an even split between people who get in car accidents, people who get in work accidents, and people who get in sport, sports accidents and or just hurt themselves through wear and tear. You know, we have three primary groups. You know, you have the auto accidents patient, you have the workplace injury patients, and we have just a general sports and wear and tear patient. So it's a pretty significant component of our our patient base. And unfortunately, it's a it's a component of our patient base that hasn't that, that that's actually become more complicated, even though the injuries themselves are the same. People have been injured in car accidents since there have been cars and actually cars protect people a lot more. But over the course of the last two decades, the red, the red tape to treat people involved in car accidents has has, has grown substantially. Uh, the bureaucracy, the the, and all that combined with less and less remuneration for that one sector, is does have negative impacts on 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 you know the service and the service delivery 
and patient care for every other sector as well. Yeah, and I think it's important uh, that we try to paint a picture for our viewers of what exactly the problem is here. And we're starting to get to it. And one of the things that, you know, this whole thing starts with is what's called the guideline. What is the guideline and why, and why is it a problem? Well, the guideline that you're referring to, I believe, is a professional services guideline. And that professional services guideline is set by the financial services regulator. Today, it's the financial services regulator of Ontario. And it sets the fees that insurance companies pay health service providers. Now, these fees are actually less than they were in 1996, currently today. But the current fees actually haven't been adjusted since 2014. So basically then, you know, what the government or the insurance companies pay for your services, there's not been a raise or any adjustment to inflation for 10 years. That's correct. There hasn't been any raise for 10 years. But in those 10 years, there's been an increase in licensing fees. So we pay more to treat people that are involved in car accidents. The um, the requirements are uh, to send submit an invoice uh, have become increasingly complex. And that, that makes it difficult for us to sort of, uh, it makes it difficult for us to operate, you know, plain and simple. Well, so, I mean, how can your industry, I mean, human beings, you know, live in Ontario, that are professionals and health service providers, you know, houses, cost of houses go up, gas goes up, food goes up. I mean, we've all experienced that, but it happens normally. You don't need to have the extraordinary inflation that we've seen over the last 18 months. Um, it's just regular old inflation. So there's no mechanism by which that health service providers in Ontario would be able to receive an adjusted increase in in rates no there isn't it's uh it's i hate to use this word but it's decreed pretty much by the financial services regulatory authority they set the rates and i don't i i, I don't believe there is a mechanism at all there's not a mechanism for these rates to be reviewed unless the financial services regulator wants to review them i don't uh, I've looked into it. I've asked if there's a mechanism. I haven't. I haven't been told that there is a mechanism. And uh, I believe there was a recent news article that that asked that question, and they said it's not on the horizon. So I really don't know what to tell you. When you're in the business of healthcare, and when you're a regulated health professional, we do a lot to keep the lights on. We also do a lot to provide the care to our patients because they're our patients. They're not our customers. They are our patients. There's a different obligation that we have to them. And that means that, you know, when the lights are off in the clinic, the lights are usually on in the back room in an office somewhere, and we're doing all this paperwork. And uh, that's when we try to get it done so that we have enough time to treat people when they come in the next day. So I'd like to unpack this a little bit more. Based on our conversations that we've had, I understand that there's also an issue with a mandate on who you must try to bill for your services first. Describe that for us. So in Ontario, um, 
When a person's involved in a car accident, the first insurance that a person has to go through that pays for their treatment from a car accident is their work insurance. So the insurance that they pay for, for their glasses that they get from their employer, um, that's the first payee. So as a clinic owner, we would have to submit to that in, that insurance first. Um, often people have more than one insurance, you know, a husband and wife or, you know, two partners, they'll have more than two insurance policies. So we'll submit to the first and the difference to the second. And then finally, the auto insurer will be the third. Now, I, it sounds complicated to explain because it is. So I'll give you a simple example. If a person comes for one session, it's $100. And the first insurance, which is the first person, um, their own person, their own work insurance, pays 80%. We will submit to that insurance company and get $80 back, 80%. Then we'll have to submit to, let's say, the spouse's insurance. That $20 will submit to the spouse. And that will be by mail. It won't be electronic. And we'll get $16 back. So that first session, first day, we'll get $80 back after a period of time. When we get that, we get the statement. We'll have to ask the patient for the statement and we'll get 16. And then we'll submit to the second insurer by mail. We'll get that back in about a month, maybe a month and a half, and we'll get $16. And of that first session of $100, we then will be able to submit to the auto insurer electronically for $4. And that $4 will, will and, and, and what they will require is, even though it's an electronic system, they will ask us to fax them both statements from the first primary and secondary insurer before they'll submit the $4 to us. And, uh, and we do, and you could imagine when a person's involved in a car accident and has some really, really significant injuries, they're not coming just once. So we have to do that for every session. So the invoicing is, it's ridiculously complicated. And it's actually, Ontario is one of maybe two jurisdictions in the entire world where you're punished for having a job if you have a car accident. Because typically, when you have a workplace accident, you go through your Workman's Compensation Board, your WSIB, whatever that agency is, and you only go through that agency. When you have a, a car accident, it, Ontario uh, mandates that the first payer is a work insurance. So we have all these employees that are angry that they can't use their work benefits for their shoulder or their arthritis or their chronic conditions for that entire year because it's been used up by the auto insurer. And we have all these employers that are upset at their employees for using uh, their benefits for a car accident because it raises the fees for all these employers. So it's a it's a lose lose situation. So, who exactly mandated that? Is that a, an act? You know, is that legislation that's done that, or is that the actual financial regulator FISRA that did that? I think it was. Uh, it's been going on for so long in Ontario. Um, you know, I, I I don't, it's been going on for over 30 years. And I think that it's come to a point where people are starting to realize that it doesn't make sense. And I'm hoping 
people uh, and and there are a lot of agencies now that are starting to sort of speak up and say we need this to stop there was a petition recently that uh, well it was a letter it was a letter that was uh that was sent to the government and i believe insurance companies uh asked for the removal of this uh professional associations asked for the removal of this and uh clinic owners and you know it was just a tripartite letter from different industry uh people just saying remove employee benefits as, a, as the first payee and i'm hoping uh, that, that 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 comes to see the light of day because it would be really beneficial for pretty much everybody in ontario so anthony while doing the research for this episode and going back you know 10 11 12 years could really tell that it seemed that the then liberal-led win government really kind of had it out for physiotherapy in Ontario. I don't know if I'm able to say things as strongly as you just did, because I do live and work in Ontario. But I will say they definitely did not listen to clinic owners. You know, when we would voice concerns, I remember they would fall on deaf ears. Like I'll give you an example. There was a period of time when they created a rule based on a suggestion from the insurance industry lobbying that clinics could only invoice once every 31 days. And for years, we would kept asking, please, please change that to once a month. And it would fall on deaf ears. Now you can imagine it sounds, it sounds sort of logical. Well, they invoice once every 31 days. What's wrong with that? And we would explain like most months don't have 31 days. February, you know, it has 29 once every four years, but the rest of the time it's got 28 days. We can't invoice in February. We tried to explain the difficulties of not being able to invoice regularly on a schedule, how it adds to administrative burden, how it adds to red tape, how it increases our costs, how our rent is due on the first, you know, how difficult it was to keep a steady cash flow. All that fell on deaf ears and eventually it was fixed, but it took four and a half years to address that issue. Well, so when I look at FISRA today and how, and so they're, they're essentially a brand new regulator. They, they replaced Fisco, which, you know, well, we covered Fisco quite a bit back in 2014 and 2015. So they're new 2019 and they seem dedicated to policing health service providers as opposed to working with uh, your industry to deliver better patient care. I think uh, FISRA has a, as a, uh, as industry executive, insurance company executive, insurance industry lobby group executives, they come from the insurance industry. They come from finance industry. The people that oversee market conduct, they're not healthcare providers. So they look at it through their lens, through the lens of the industry they came from. Um, and I think that makes it a bit difficult for, uh, uh, for them to appreciate what we do and the hurdles we face as service provider. Um, you know, I, I get it. They come from an industry, the insurance industry, uh, but we definitely feel that they speak to us with an us versus them attitude, which isn't the case because we're just trying to deliver care to our patients. We're being asked to do more with amounts that don't go as far. And you know we're at our breaking point. It's it's not easy delivering care with all this red tape, with all these hurdles. What value 
does FISRA bring to the health service provider industry? You know, the, the, the idea for the creation of FISRA as a, as, a, as a second redundant licensing and regulatory agency for health service provider, I, I, I don't agree with it. The regulated health professionals, the physios, the chiros, the doctors, the social workers, the nurses, all of these who are regulated by their healthcare colleges that invoice through this uh, auto insurance system uh, they are, they're already highly regulated. They're already honest and they already have significant things to lose. But then you have other areas of the industry, such as the body shops and, and things that provide services that are oftentimes more expensive than the healthcare, and they're not licensed or regulated at all. So it seems that, you know, we're talking about things we're we're making an effort to talk, but we're, 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 we're redundantly licensing healthcare professionals who have significant investment in their careers and pride in what they do. Like this is part of their being, this they identify as healthcare professionals. And we're not, you know, we're, we're not licensing body shops. We're not licensing other areas that are known to be problematic and uh, maybe not problematic. I don't want to say that, but they're known to be very expensive. And it comes down to this issue around auto insurance and fraud and fraud, you know, coming from accidents. And so it appears that, at least in my mind, that there's a bit of a level of hysteria, at least in the media, around fraud and health service providers. Yes, absolutely. And uh, there, there does appear to be a high level of hysteria in the media around fraud and the, perpetuate the, and the perpetuation about auto insurance fraud coming from health service providers. And the one thing that I am pleased and happy to see, and this is something that I've already known, is that the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario's own data has shown that health service provider fraud is virtually non-existent. You know, health service providers, they were the smart kids, the nice kids, they went to school and they were told to help people. You know, they aren't cheats. They're the doctors, nurses, physios, chiropractors, massage therapists, occupational therapists, psychologists, they value their degree and work too hard to throw it away for nothing. They're honest and they're already they're already regulated by their by their health colleges. And 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 of course, there's no group that doesn't have a bad apple here and there. But by and large, as a collective, the data has shown that service provider fraud is virtually non-existent. And you know, I'm 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 really happy that that data is coming out because it's 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 sort of like undoing the myth that's that's perpetuated in the marketing that we see when oh we need to overregulate overregulate because of healthcare fraud but you know the data is the data you know the 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 auto the ontario healthcare providers people who do work for insurance companies and people who don't do work for insurance companies they invoiced a total of about 640 something million dollars and the insurance industry states that there's between 1.3 and 1.6 billion dollars in auto insurance fraud. Well, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. And I'm so glad the data has shown that health service provider fraud is virtually non-existent because without that data, you know, it it's it's very difficult to to sort of dispel the myth. 
And that's the word I'm looking for because the numbers dispel the myth of health service provider fraud. Anthony, based on the treatment your industry receives, do you feel like you're being treated with respect? They call us healthcare heroes. We worked during the pandemic, clinics were shut down, we paid rent when we asked, then there was no revenue coming in. We did all this for public safety. And in spite of all that, uh, we're not getting that from the regulator. We don't feel like we're being treated with respect. Um, no, I'm sorry to say, I, I don't think many providers feel that their interactions have been positive and that they're being treated with respect when somebody tells them they have to have an organizational chart and and gives them grief for not having an organizational chart where they're when they're an owner operator. I don't think that's that's respectful of of what their purpose is. Their purpose is patient care. Anthony, based on what you've been telling us, these are the three things you are immediately asking for. One, an overall increase in the rate schedule with some process for ongoing adjustments. Two, removal of the requirement to partially bill workplace insurance first before the auto insurer. And three, remove the redundant regulator from the process or at least all the red tape. The most important thing would be to decrease the red tape that we have to deal with, with this invoicing system and the red tape with the redundant regulation and the, 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 the fees. With each patient that comes in, the busier you are, the more red tape you have to deal with, the more hurdles you have to jump through, the more difficult it is. You know, it, it, the reduction in red tape removal of redundancies is, is 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 almost it's almost more important than than a fee increase believe me a fee increase is important but to remove the red tape and the hurdles to invoice and it, it it's just it's astounding what we have to do it shouldn't cost more it shouldn't cost so much to send an invoice in terms of time in terms of human resource time and it shouldn't be so difficult to send an invoice that's that's typically the easiest part most companies they go on quickbooks they go dee, 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 and they send it off into the ether and that's all it took it literally took 10 seconds with us it could take 10 weeks and a lot of touch points so who could make that change to remove your industries uh, from uh, FISRA authority? I think that's a, a government decision. I think that's a decision that has to be made at a, at a very high level. I think when you ask somebody if their job is useful, they're always going to say it is. I, I think that you know being more efficient and having financial services focus on financial, uh, you know, focus more on financial things like insurance brokers and mortgage brokers. And, you know, what their mandate really is, is, is probably better use of their time. Now, what about Doug Ford and the progressive conservatives, the current government in Ontario? I mean, they're known for promising to reduce red tape. Yeah, actually, and I'm, I'm actually grateful. Um, yeah, I've, 
surprisingly, this is the first time in in decades of reaching out to people that 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 I feel that people are listening to our concerns and opinions. Like we've been reaching out to different people over the decades, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think that you know I, I have I've been particularly grateful for for what I've been experiencing so far. Um, you know that we we've been I personally have been receiving some attention. You know I I I, I reached out. I got a phone call back. Got a phone call back, and you know it, it was like, "Hey, Anthony," I said, "Who's this?" Stuck Ford here. I'm like, "What?" Yeah, I got your email. I'm like, "What?" And uh, so I'm gonna have my minister of finance give you a call. What? And it's like, I was so surprised. And the next thing you know, I'm talking to people, and they're listening. And uh, yeah, so you know. I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful for the first time ever, and I've been doing this since 1996 in other jurisdictions too, but I'm, but in Ontario, I'm hopeful for the first time ever. I am hopeful that people are hearing, not just me, but other people about reducing red tape, about, you know, just, just, just listening to the people on the ground, that, that they're not, that there's more to what's happening in healthcare than what industry lobbyists are saying, you know, like it, all I can hope for is that somebody will listen. You know, in the past, it took us four and a half years for them to change the rule that we could only invoice once every 31 days. And we worked around it and suffered for that little thing needlessly. And I'm just hoping now that I'm in a that we're all in a better position because it seems that people are starting to listen.